Welcome back, Brooklyn Nets fans. So I meant to make this video during the uh, All-Star break, and that, of course, did not happen. I guess the time kind of got away from me. So anyway, we're going to talk about the Bulls game in the second half of this video because I am recording this like a half hour before that game starts here on this Friday night. But the first half of this video will be about Jock Vaughn's extension, Ben Simmons' knee injury, the new guys on this team, what I've seen so far. I did not talk to you guys since that Knicks loss, and after that... Uh, Mikhail Bridges dropped 45 points. It was awesome. That last win versus the Heat at home. So that was cool. But um, we'll talk about the second half, the expectations, what's the ceiling for this Nets team this year. So we'll get into all that. Hope you guys enjoyed the video. Leave a like and let's get into it. So I will say now that I haven't talked to you guys in probably like a week and a half, two weeks, it's starting to feel more natural now that like Katie and Kyrie are gone and it makes sense that like, okay, we have this roster now. This is who we have. I was definitely sad the last week or so, but then I've gotten over it recently and it's like, all right, this is exciting. We have some pieces to build with in the future and you know, there's a lot to look forward to here, hopefully, with all the draft picks coming up. The Nets have, I think, 11 first-round picks in the ne next, uh, what is it, seven or eight drafts. So they have some assets going forward, and they have guys in this roster that are still good, and they definitely can be a very good defensive team if things do click. Now, of course, part of that is Ben Simmons, and if he can really get back to what he was, or even like 80% of that, because if this team had the 76ers Ben Simmons... I would feel much better about their potential ceiling. Like right now, I will say, I guess this team could get out of the first round if they played the right team in the first round. Like if they played like the Cavaliers or somehow played Miami or something, I can see them getting out of the first round, but the Nets will probably be underdogs in the first round. Probably, right? I would assume that's how it's going to be unless there's like injuries or something. I don't know. But they could get to the second round, but if Ben Simmons continues to play like this for the rest of the year and it's not like we have a reason to think otherwise um this team probably has a second round ceiling which hey that's an improvement from last year but you do want championships you do play for that but you know it is kind of the first year of a rebuild if that makes sense or even the first half year of a rebuild or a retool however you want to word that. So they have interesting guys though. I mean you go down the list they have the height, the length, you have Nick Claxton Hopefully Ben Simmons gets back and I mean people are talking about shutting down Ben Simmons. I'm not there yet. I think you give him this knee injection. You see how it goes. I mean I remember one time I think Darren Williams back in his like earlier days in Brooklyn, not New Jersey, but Brooklyn, um, when he had his ankle issues, they gave him some type of ankle injection or something, and he had a great second half of the year. So it might have been the first year in Brooklyn, now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, um, sometimes when you give these guys these injections, it works out. So I'm hoping that this is um, you know the case for Ben Simmons, and I don't know whether his confidence is shattered or if he's just not right physically. Hopefully, it's just a physical thing, and once his knee is right, he'll be okay, but I can't really bank on that, but I'm not at the point yet where I want to shut down Ben for the season, so we're going to see how that plays out. Right now, it seems like De'Aaron's the backup five. I mean, especially with Ben Simmons out, that's who's going to be there, so that is what it is. Utah Watanabe, I mean, he made some nice shots against the Heat. He made a contribution, but still he's going to be behind guys like Cameron Johnson, Finney Smith, and Mikhail Bridges. So speaking of the twins, you have Cam Johnson, you have Mikhail Bridges. Um, a big question for you know Nets fans has been like, what is Mikhail Bridges' ceiling? And you see the comparisons of uh, you know baby Kawhi Leonard and things like that. And, you know, of course, I wish we acquired Mikhail when he was younger. I mean, he's 26. That's my age. So I'm hoping that's still young in most people's eyes. But um, 
Mikhail definitely has never been in a spot like this where he can be the main guy. And I think he even admitted today on uh, it might have been it might have came out yesterday. It might have been today though. The JJ Reddick podcast, Old Man in the Three. He was on that and they posted it today. And he was talking about just kind of doing moves he would not do with the Suns because he feels like this is kind of not his team. He didn't word it that way, but he feels he's more free to play you know, without limitations as compared to Phoenix when you're playing with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and even DeAndre Ayton too. So at least now in Brooklyn, this is kind of like, you know, Mikael Bridges is supposed to be the best player. So he's not afraid to make these moves and we'll see who he is. I mean, I did not expect him to go out there and score 45 points against Jimmy Butler the game before the All-Star break, but it happened and it was very cool. We saw some really nice mid-range pull-up shots we saw some floaters in there taking guys off the dribble which was not really a huge part of his game in phoenix more of a catch and shoot guy of course pull-up jumper type guy but when he can pull off uh, pull up off the dribble or take guys to the rim off the dribble like that is stuff you want to see right there from mikhail bridges he has the length he's a great defender we know that so you know, maybe a baby Kawhi Leonard is not the best comparison. That might be a little too, you know, reaching too much. But hey, it's it's not impossible. This is the first time he's in this situation as the main guy. And we'll see how far it goes. Cam Johnson, he's a guy who, since he's been a net so far, has not shot the ball that great. I feel like he's had a lot of like two for sixes, two for eight type games from three. And he's a better shooter than that. So he'll get better at some point. But so far, I've liked him as a player. He definitely looked great in the Heat game. I think he scored somewhere in the low 20s, 22, 23 points. He almost had – he had that ridiculous backwards layup. Um, I, it was it was like the Jason Kidd play against the Bulls back in like 06. It was like behind his head. He somehow made this crazy layup. So that was great to see from Cam Johnson. But he's also a good shooter. We know that he can kind of operate in that mid to low post area back some guys down like I think he made a shot against Jalen Brunson backing him down in the in the Knicks game so that's stuff like that like I, I'm seeing more from these guys that you kind of saw in Phoenix and that's it's a great thing to see like when you get the opportunity you got to see how they're going to run with it and how they're going to play differently and so far Mikhail and even Cam Johnson are showing us things now that we haven't really seen before like we knew they were excellent role players coming over but we didn't know their ceiling just yet. And both guys are, I think, 26 years old. Yeah. So both are 26. I mean, there is room to grow. So we'll find out what happens here. But I do like what I've seen from both of these guys so far, especially when Cam Johnson's uh, three-point shot gets more uh, consistent with the Nets. Dorian Finney-Smith has been, I would say, a little disappointing so far. But guys, it's a four-game sample size. Like, let's not, let's not freak out about it. But um, Dorian's made some electric plays. He had that great dunk in his first game. And um, very likable teammate. Awesome guy, it seems like. He's a, you know, I was going to say a tryhard on defense. But he's very good on defense. Gives maximum effort. I like that type of stuff. Like, he's another guy who you add that wing presence. 6'7", 220 has the long arms, you know, can jump out of the building kind of. Um, he doesn't have like, you know, Gerald Green type bounce, but he's a pretty good dunker. So I do love that. And his three-point shot has been a bit inconsistent this year. That's the thing about him. So we're going to see how that comes along the rest of the year. But if that gets more consistent, then all of a sudden Dorian Finney-Smith becomes a much more attractive piece, whether you want to trade him in the offseason or build with him in the future. He's 29 right now, so we'll see if he's part of the future plans. Royce O'Neal, we know about him, not much to say. Joe Harris is interesting. Joe Harris, I think the past, I don't know, three games or so has been unbelievable. Like ever since Durant got traded, 
Joe Harris was kind of just like, oh, 2019 vibes. I'm back. And Joe Harris has like, he made six threes in two straight games. And then I think he made a couple of big shots in the Heat game too. So Joe Harris, I mean, he's been really good the past three games. So, you know, maybe he's getting healthier finally with the ankle. He's still not good on defense. He's getting cooked a lot on defense. I hate seeing that for Joe because it's sad. Like, Joe was never that bad on defense, but you know the man's body is just not right. The botched ankle surgery is probably doing him dirty. So I feel bad for Joe, but if he's making his shots, you know, from three-point range at like a 45% clip, I mean, he'll play. So Joe Harris has a role if he's making his shots. Spencer Dinwiddie, we know about his game. As I've said before, I might have said this in spaces or I might have said it on here, but Spencer's a better player than he was back in 2017, 18, 19. You can tell he's a better player. So for Spencer, he's worked on his game ever since being, especially in Dallas, but even Washington, he's a better player than he was the first stint in Brooklyn. Definitely has more confidence, which I didn't think was possible for a guy like Spencer, but he's a big shot taker, big shot maker. Like he makes clutch plays. That dunk he had on Joel Embiid was crazy in the Sixers game. I think he got that shot off in time to tie the game. I don't know what happened with the clock right there, but he should have made that shot. But Spencer has made some big shots as a Brooklyn Net, so he's definitely not a stranger to that stuff. And, um, you know, the Spencer Dinwiddie versus Cam Thomas playing time distribution, it's going to be interesting. And you can even throw Seth Curry in there too because Seth Curry might play some backup point guard. But Cam Thomas is a guy I want to talk about. So Cam Thomas, in my opinion... As I said, this team probably right now, at best, I hate to say it, is probably a second-round exit type of team, at best. So you look at it like that, like obviously guys like Cam Johnson and, as I mentioned, Finney Smith and Mikhail and Claxton, they're going to get their minutes. We know that. But guys like Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, can they play less to give Cam Thomas more minutes? I'm certainly not, I'm not opposed to that. I'm really not opposed to that. I would love to see Cam Thomas get at least 25 minutes per game. I'm not saying that Cam has to play 38 minutes a game. That might be a bit unreasonable, but give him consistent minutes, somewhere from 24 to 28 minutes every night. Cam Thomas knows his role. He's the scoring option off the bench. I still think Dinwiddie's the starter going forward. I didn't even check the starting five tonight, but I'd be surprised if Cam Thomas was the starter. But you make him that microwave scorer off the bench, and hopefully his you know, career keeps going in the right direction. The guy's still 21 years old, I believe. So yeah, he's 21. So Cam Thomas has shown enough where it's like, yeah, this guy can score the ball at will, but it's the other things like consistency and making the right passes and not turning the ball over and, you know, being committed on defense and making the right defensive rotation, staying in front of his guy on ball. Those are the things Cam Thomas has to work at, but just being a bucket getter, the guy's unbelievable. So that's great. Um, Seth Curry, as I mentioned, he might have a role. I think Jock Vaughn has tried to get this rotation down to nine or 10 guys. And I think Seth Curry's somewhere on that cusp and, He'll still play, but I'm not sure how many minutes. Like, Seth Curry, as we know as Nets fans, is very hit or miss. He's had some games this year where he's the sole reason the Nets win, and he's had games this year where he's been just unplayable. Like, I'll go through his chart right now, like his game log, and you'll see some games in here where it's like, whoa. Like here, 32 points in the loss at Philly on uh, January 25th. Then against the Lakers, he had a six-point game, three for 11 shooting two games later. I think that was the last uh, home game Kyrie played. So 
you know, sometimes will come out here and have these ridiculous games, 29 points against Portland in a game in late November. Um, and then I'll have games where he's 0 for 5 and 0 for 3, 1 for 7, like 1 for 4. He's just inconsistent for the most part. But Seth is a guy who, as we know, can come off the bench and give you a random 25. And that's important. Like, you have to play those guys and at least see if it's their night. I don't think that Seth Curry should be getting DMPs. He's way too good of a shooter for that. And even the Heat game, this is the last game they played. This is a very recent example. He only played 10 minutes, and he had zero points on 0-3 shooting. So that type of game, he was very ineffective and just looked terrible. So a guy like that should be able to play at least 10 to 15 minutes a game. You see if it's a good shooting night. If it's not, you just put him on the bench and say, hey, go get him next time. A guy like Patty Mills, I mean, I don't really want to see him play. I think sometimes they have a Patty Mills infatuation, so they might play him at some points. Um, Edmund Sumner's interesting. He's a guy that I think is built for specific matchups um, in times where like you just need that defensive length and a guy that can just drive to the basket and put pressure on a, a slower defense that's not good at moving their feet. Edmund Sumner's a good guy for that. So he's a good guy to have on the bench. So, you know, he's not the best shooter, as we know. He's not the most consistent player, as we know. But, you know, Ed's had some moments this year. So hopefully he does get some uh, some burn at some points. But he's definitely not going to be consistently in the rotation getting 20 minutes a night. I don't see that being the case unless there's injuries. So hopefully there's not. Um, but back to Jock Vaughn. I kind of wanted to go to that at some point. But he is now... The Brooklyn Nets coach, based on his contract, I think through 2026, I'll look at the exact years real quickly, but Jock Vaughn, of course, was given the interim tag. The Nets were in talks with um, Ime Udoka. Those kind of fell through, so that didn't happen. And then they signed him to be the head coach through next year, so finishing out the 2023-24 season. But then we heard a couple days ago on February 21st, that the Nets signed Jacques Vaughn through the 2026-2027 season. So Jacques Vaughn is 32-19 and 19 this year as the Nets head coach. He had a good stint the final three games before COVID happened when um, Atkinson got fired, then went to the bubble, and I think the Nets were pretty good in the bubble. They overachieved for the crappy roster they had. And look, can we possibly overrate Jacques Vaughn because of how bad Steve Nash was? Maybe. But I think that Jock Vaughn's genuinely a great guy. I think he's a great leader of men. He's a great teacher, um, a player's coach, but he's also a good motivator. And seeing that guys like Kevin Durant and even Kyrie, <clears throat> but seeing guys like Kevin Durant and even Kyrie Irving really, really respect Jock Vaughn, that catches my attention because those guys have been around tons of coaches, not just the NBA, but, you know, middle school, high school, uh, college. Like, those guys have been around so many coaches. They've been NBA veterans forever. Um, you know, fortunately, we didn't get to see James Harden play under Jock Vaughn as a head coach. But um, it seemed like 7-11, both those guys loved Jock Vaughn and especially Kevin Durant. So, once again, could that be because Steve Nash was so bad and it couldn't get much worse? Maybe. But I think there is something to it. Jock Vaughn... Ever since he took over, there's been a new identity about this Brooklyn Nets team, how under Steve Nash, they did not play much defense. They were just fully relying on their offensive isolation scores to do the work, 
for them, and that kind of led to a sweep by the Boston Celtics last year. That led to some disappointing basketball and games they shouldn't have lost. But then Jacques Vaughn took over after a 2-6 start, I believe it was, and the Nets have been 32-19 under him being the head coach. So, you know, Jacques Vaughn, look, as I've always said, I would definitely have preferred Ime Udoka, but I guess there's too many... Um, off the court issues and whatever whatever happened in Boston last year, there's too much going on there. So the Nets did not get involved in that situation. But I think right now he's probably their best option, Jacques Vaughn. Sometimes Jacques Vaughn does annoy me. He does play Patty Mills when I don't want him to. He might be a bit, you know, he'll play smaller lineups. But some of that as well is a is a Sean Marks problem. Like. Sean Marks does not give him the ingredients to cook. I mean, he, he gives him these small players and, you know, Dayron Sharp's your backup center. So I, I kind of get it, but there are times I wish he would go at it with different lineups. I hate when he plays like the lineups of Seth Curry and Cam Thomas and some other small guy. Like, you know, we, we've seen this in the Celtics series last year. You have to have a a pretty big lineup out there at most times. So you can't go out there with those lineups expecting it to work. But now they have so many wing guys from 6'5 to 6'9, 6'10, that um, hopefully we avoid that problem going forward. So much of this next season is going to be coming down to how is Nick Claxton without the superstars? Nick Claxton and Kyrie had a great um, chemistry before Kyrie left. And even Kevin Durant and Nick Claxton were great together. Nick Claxton and James Harden had their moments together. So how is Nick Claxton away from the stars? Claxton was definitely a bit fatigued up until the break. So hopefully this week and a half rest uh, worked out for him. Um, ben Simmons is the other big question mark. What does he look like when he comes back? Does he even come back? I don't know for sure. So, you know, that's definitely going to be interesting. If he does come back and looks great, that could possibly put the Nets into Eastern Conference Finals contention. But there's like a 1% chance at this point that we see the Philly version of Ben Simmons ever happen this year. Maybe in the future, like hopefully next year, but it's probably not happening this year unless that shot he's getting in his knee is like just magic and it's a cure. So I'm not expecting that though. Anyway, so you have Claxon, Ben Simmons, and I will say the other guy, and I guess there's just probably two more. Mikael Bridges is the other one. He's three. Mikael's development, what he is as the lead guy, we'll see that over a consistent period of time. Who he is as a leader, who he is as a lead guy, that's going to play out over the final 24 games. And the other guy, number four, is Cam Thomas. Who is Cam Thomas? Is Cam Thomas going to be the guy who, as I've said in the negatives before, you know, kind of gets lost on defense, doesn't stay in front of his guy, turns the ball over, forces some bad shots, or will he be the guy who is learning the game at a high level and taking smart shots, making a lot of shots, scoring around 20 points per game, and just being that really, really good six-man off the bench that can give you 20 to, you know, 18 to 22 a night, somewhere in there. And, of course, he'll have his blow-up games and score 30. We've seen him score 40 this year three times. So Cam Thomas will have his nights. It just depends, you know, what role does Jacques Vaughn have for him? And I think Jacques Vaughn, he knows how talented Cam Thomas is, but Jacques Vaughn did have that comment saying that he did like what Cam Thomas did in the 40-point games, but the Nets were 1-2 and two in those games. And I think Jacques Vaughn sees the bigger picture there about winning and losing. So, yeah, it's not all about Cam Thomas' stats. We know that, but he needs to play, of course. He needs to have a consistent role. I'm tired of the Nets always, like, 
not giving Cam Thomas consistent time. Even with Steve Nash, it was the same thing where you would give Cam Thomas like 23 minutes one night and then seven minutes the next night. And it's just like, you can't operate like that. You have to give this kid consistent minutes and hopefully it works out. But anyway, that's it for this, uh, the preview for the second half. And, you know, hopefully they can stay out of the play-in and stay in the top, what is it, top six seeds, you know, stay at five or six. That would be ideal. You don't want to fall between seven and ten. But um, if they do, you know, we'll find out. You know, what happened last year, they won their playing game. They made the playoffs, got swept. But hopefully this team can kind of hold on to the five or six seed. I believe they're the five seed right now. So hopefully they keep that and um, get into a playoff series in a favorable, favorable matchup and can hopefully win that. So, you know, 24 games left. If they can win, like, I don't know, 14 of those and go 14 and 10, that'd be great. But the Nets have a tough schedule. I think I saw somewhere they have, like, the sixth or the seventh toughest schedule going forward. Looking at it now, you have teams like Milwaukee. You're at New York. You're at Boston. Um, at Milwaukee again. At Denver. OKC. They've been playing much better. Um, Sacramento. Denver. Cleveland twice. At Miami. And they finish off the season with a pretty favorable schedule after that Miami game on March 25th. But I would say their next, like, 15 to 18 games are tough. So it's going to be a very pivotal stretch here for Brooklyn. Hopefully the game that starts in a couple minutes here, they get this win, start off the uh, break 1-0 or out of the break 1-0. But we'll see what happens, and I'll talk to you guys after the game. Well, we're at halftime, and I'm not going to wait until it's over because it's already over. The Nets are down 63-29 to at half. 63-29. That is the least amount of points they've scored at halftime since 2012, they just said on the broadcast. Um, 18 points in the first quarter, down 15 after one. You know, that's it, it happens, right? Second quarter, they were outscored 30-11. to 11. 11. 11 points in a 12-minute quarter in an NBA game. Yikes. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I really don't. Like, look at some of these plus minuses. Dorian Finney-Smith, minus 27. Dinwiddie, minus 25. This is in a half. This is so, so ugly. Some guys individually are playing awful. Um, Mikhail's not shooting well, three for nine. Royce O'Neal's had a couple of awful turnovers. Joe Harris had an awful turnover. Zach Levine, I guess the Bulls' big three, if you want to call it that. Probably not the right name, but Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, they are just completely destroying this team. They've probably outscored the Nets by themselves, those three guys, by a lot. So here's the halftime stats. Nets are 10 for 41, 24% from the field, 3 for 22 from 3, 13% from 3, 6 of 7 at the line. They are out-rebounded right now 36 to 20 at halftime. 16 16 point deficit my god um Andre Drummond had that play on the free throws the second missed free throw where he got the rebound three times basically and then dunked it over Daron Sharp so that was ugly here's something they're tied tied an assist nine to nine so you got that going for you if you're a Nets fan uh nine turnovers to five Brooklyn's losing that of course the Nets actually have more points off turnovers, seven to two. That does not sound right at all. But thirty points in the paint for Chicago to the Nets twelve, so that's pretty bad. Chicago's largest lead in the first half was thirty-five points. 
So, uh, yeah, this is uh, pretty ugly. What's 63 minus 29? What's the score right now? 63. Not good at math, sorry. 63 minus 29. 34-point deficit at halftime. So unless there's some type of 2019 at Sacramento type comeback, this game is over. Um, I don't really know what else to say. I mean, this, this is ugly. There's not really any positive takeaways that I've seen. I guess Cam Johnson looked okay. He made a couple threes in the first quarter. He's only a minus 16. It's one of the best on the team. Um, but yeah, they looked a step slow the entire night. Um, Chicago got off to like a 9 nothing run or 11 nothing run to start the game. Jock Vaughn was holding on to his timeouts like it would cost him money. I don't know why he took so long. But um, it's, it's bad. No Utah so far. No Sumner. No Patty. I would give Utah and Sumner some uh, playing time in the second half. This might be a game to play Patty Mills, too, because why not? Um, looking at DeRozan, he's 6 of 10, 13 points. He's been cooking. Zach Levine, who has killed the Nets a lot recently, I feel like, 7 of 10, 18 points. Vucevic only has 9, so, you know, it's not a ton. He basically has a third of the Nets' points, which is not very good for the Nets. But, um, I mean, yeah, Chicago's killed them. And Chicago should be up more. They had a... a a possession or two where they missed a dunk and then they came down and missed a layup right after after a steal. So I don't know. You had ten days off if you're the Nets. Um Jock Vaughn just gets his extension and you come out and look like this. It is uh it is very ugly out here. So that's a shame. I do want to check the standings real quickly because I did not really go over the exact standings when I was first talking to you guys. So looking at it now the Nets are the five seed, 34 and 24. The Knicks are the six seed. They are two games back. I forget what the Knicks score is right now. I think they're beating the uh, some crappy team they're playing. Um, and we're two and a half up on the Miami Heat, who are down like 20 to Milwaukee right now. So once again, my main priority is staying in the top six. So if you can stay in front of the Heat right now and stay in front of that eight seed, um, you know you'll be all right. But still, it is. Uh, it sucks. This is this is not what I wanted to see. I was uh, the last few days I was missing Nets basketball and I couldn't wait for Friday night. You get here and it's like, man, this sucks. And <laughs> I posted this picture as a response to the Nets Twitter, and it's funny because this happened in the same season. So there was a game in uh, I don't know, probably October, November, when the Nets were on that winning streak and they were up 91 to 51 at halftime. I mean, up 40 points at halftime is insane. I know it was against a pretty injured Warriors team, but still, I mean, I have the picture here if you guys can even see it. But So that's the picture, as you can see, 63-29, 91-51. So yeah, that all happened in the same season, which is crazy. But of course, the Nets now are a much different team <clears throat> than they were just a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, I should say. So yeah, it's sad. You hope that this is just a... Uh you know, a wrong night type thing. And it's not really something that keeps uh, turning into bad basketball over a long stretch of time. But looking at the schedule, the next few games coming up here, and we'll talk about that real quick. So after this, it's at Atlanta on Sunday. They might have a new coach by then, Quinn Snyder. We'll see if he's there in time or not, but that's possible. So at Atlanta, I guess you could win that game. Home versus Milwaukee after that, always going to be tough. We know that. But the Nets do have length, so maybe that'll help. We'll see. At the Knicks, which um, the Knicks might be a bad matchup for the Nets now. I don't know, because I think the reason the Nets were so good against the Knicks the past couple years, or honestly, last three or four years, was because they had the superstars to close the games out, and now they don't. So Kevin Durant had a bunch of clutch moments versus the Knicks. Um, Kyrie, same thing last time they played, or two times ago now. Um, 
And Cam Thomas had his big moment at MSG last year, but still, I mean, it's it's tough. Then after that, it's at Boston. So then you get a couple easier ones with Charlotte and Houston. It's going to be tough. As I mentioned, they have like the sixth or seventh toughest schedule going forward. Tonight was a winnable game. I mean, I know Chicago were, they were like two point favorites, but this was a game that should have came down to the last, you know, few minutes of the fourth quarter. And it was over by the middle of the second quarter. So it's pretty sad. But hopefully next time on Sunday, 3 o'clock, they come out and hopefully don't stay out in Atlanta too late on Saturday night and then come out and get that win. But yeah, this was a uh, pretty awful performance, but it is what it is. I hope you guys enjoyed the video. I will try to talk to you guys. Um, you know, if they have a win Sunday, maybe we'll talk on Sunday, have a quick turnaround. If not, probably after Boston on Friday. I hate the Celtics. We'll probably lose to them because we always do. But um, probably after that Boston game and between them, we have four games. So if they can get two and two out of that, obviously the most likely wins would be Atlanta and New York. But realistically, they could be one and three or one and four. I don't know. I mean, this, this team is very unpredictable. I don't know what to think about them because, you know, ever since they made the trades, I mean, they had the next game where they got blown out at MSG. Then they won versus the Heat, a shorthanded Heat team. They had that very, very close loss versus Philadelphia, which is a game I think the refs kind of stole from them. So they're going to be one and three with these, uh, you know, new reinforcements now. You know, could have been two and two, whatever, but still, it's it's not great. So hopefully they win at Atlanta, and hopefully that starts some momentum. But yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the video. Hopefully the Nets somehow win in the second half, but I doubt it. Make this game a uh, you know respectable loss at least. Don't lose by sixty. We'll see what happens, but I'll talk to you guys next time.